Welcome to This Academic Life, episode 60. If you're interested in being a sponsor, then please contact us at sponsor at thisacademiclife.org. Hi, my name is Kim Michelle Lewis. I am a professor of physics and associate dean of research. Hi, my name is Lucy Zhang. I am a professor of mechanical engineering. Hi, my name is Pani Anuel. I'm also a professor of mechanical engineering. As we all know, fall semester is the season for faculty positions and applications, and faculty statements play a significant role in landing a successful faculty position. These documents are not mere paperwork. They are the vibrant narratives that they define the heart and soul of academia. They are the canvas upon which educators paint their vision for a brighter future, where innovation, mentorship, and discovery converge to shape the next generations of scholars. So we decided to talk about these statements in this episode. Let's start by just asking about what kind of statements are we talking about for a faculty position? So the most recent requirement or versions I have seen, they would require research statement, teaching statement, and diversity statement. Yes, to my knowledge, this is the standard these days. If you're applying for an administrative position, such as a department chair, they may ask you for an administrative statement or a leadership statement. Oh, that's good to know. So let's start with the research statement. And what's the purpose of this research statement in general? So I can take that one. The purpose of the research statement is to give your stakeholders or your future colleagues an idea about your research direction and your current research interests. In particular, you want to make sure you convey what similarities you have with people that are already in the department so that your committee can see that it may be easy for you to make collaborations within the department. And they also want to see external collaborations. So there might be universities in the state or in the area um, or in, even in the same city where you could collaborate with other faculty members. The other purpose of the research statement is to figure out what kind of funding opportunities could be useful for the candidate. So is this person mostly going to be supported by the National Science Foundation or NIH or DOD or DOE? So sometimes the committee wants to have an idea and you should give the committee an idea of where your funding sources are. Another purpose of the research statement is to give them an idea about what kind of equipment and supplies you might need. Do you need a big lab or a small lab? Do you just need a fume hood or a web bench? So you, you don't have to say explicitly what kind of equipment that you would need, but you may say something general like, I'm a low temperature physicist. And they would immediately know that you may need a cryostat or a dilution refrigerator or something similar. So it gives them an idea what kind of space 
or infrastructure requirements that you would need. So actually, I think the for experimentalists and for theorists, I think the research statement is very important because it's also going to be used for negotiating your startup package and what and who you're going to see when you actually visit the campus. Yeah, Kim, you mentioned this potential equipment or request for setting up a lab. I never thought about that before, but you're right because just looking at the list of publications, oftentimes、um, if it's a multiple author type of publication, it's really difficult to distinguish your own contribution. And but this is a personal research statement, so all of that will become very personal. It is what you are good at, or what your research direction is, and what equipment you're looking for. I think that's a great point. I never thought about that before. So, what would be the structures of these statements? How does one write a research statement? So, I think the ones that I've seen that I particularly enjoyed reading. Were ones that separated into major research themes and use a buzzword. So solar cells. My research interest number one: solar cells. And then they just give a little snippet. It almost kind of reminds you of when you write your summary statement for NSF award, where you have your intellectual merit and your broader impact. So I've seen ones that kind of just do like two paragraphs, very quick paragraphs. And at the end of the paragraph, they'll give me an idea about potential collaborations. They'll do a little small subheading and say potential collaborations,、uh, Georgetown or Emory University, etc. And then they'll say the number of students that would work on that project. Right? They'll say one postdoc, two undergrad students, one graduate student, something like that. And then they may just give me an idea of. Current publications, so they may say pending publication in America in ACS or something like that, and then they'll just move on to the next research theme and then repeat the same thing again and again, and maybe they'll have three major research themes. And I really do like that because then I can just easily it helps the committee just write up, oh, this person is interested in solar cells and cryogenics and blah blah blah. So those were really nice to read. It was just quick, short, and to the point. And it gave me an idea about all of their research needs, their research interests, how many people they expect to work on this project, and how many publications they currently have in that area, or which ones are pending. I love that you said short and to the point, because I think it's really important for these candidates to to recognize that the search committee is seeing so many of these. And they don't have time to read pages after pages after pages, and with like a small font and with a lot of details. And they won't remember all of those if they have two hundred applicants or five hundred or whatever. Based on the different searches, they get so many of these applications. I like that how you said repeat the structures. So I I personally like those that they start with the vision statement. So they say what is their vision. What is their area that they are going to work on? And then after that, they build, they gain the trust of the search by saying that my past experience was this, or I did this research that had this impact. And then my current is this, and my future at your institute is this. But I really like how you mentioned that collaborators within the school and outside. 
that shows that they put a lot of thought into what they are going to do. And you can see that they are already seeing themselves as a faculty rather than writing these long paragraphs of things that they want to do. I agree with all of those. I also wanted to say that uh, I've seen some applications where this statement just covers everything under the sun, not text wide, but, but in terms of topic. So some people might be too eager to think that their ideas are big, that they had, they're forward looking. Uh, but uh, when you cover too much, when it's lack of focus, then it'll get caught. So people, evaluators, the committee would say, so so exactly what is this candidate's contribution? Where is he or she going with this? So I think be distinct and be focused. Uh, certainly, you want to represent a very unique side of you from these statements. Yeah, very good point. Also, I would like to add that so it helps to use the words from the position advertisement. So you don't want to be broad. You want to be related, but you also you want to add your flavor of uniqueness, as Lucy mentioned. How about the, the format and the length? How long a research statement should be? First off, sometimes I begin to see that in the actual advertisement, they will tell you the number of pages each statement should be. So you should really look there first. However, if you look there and there is no mention of a page limit or maximum or minimum, then I would typically not go longer than two and a half to three pages. I agree. I've seen some with five pages and some are even eight pages long, that's just too much. No one is going to read every word of it and really get the essence out of those pages. Yes, I agree with both of you. And also, I encourage candidates to include some figures. So it's not just text after text. If they are talking about computational method or if they are talking about some experiments, it's good to include some figures in there. Also, if they have a very broad vision of what their lab is going to be, if they know they want to work on, I don't know, three focus areas. So it's good to have like these overview figures included to give a big picture of what, what they are interested in. If I can add one more thing. Also, the funding sources. So I remember when I applied in that little part where I said the number of students and publications, I also mentioned active research grants that I might have in that field already. And, you know, I would just put the NSF number. And if I didn't have any active awards in that particular theme, then I would say, we'll apply to the NSF, blah, blah, blah do date this. So again, just being thoughtful, letting them know, like, I have plans to submit. I've also seen more senior candidates say whether or not that particular grant was transferable to another school. So they will say NSF, blah, 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 one year left is transferable. So that was also very important. So it was like, you just start counting dollar signs while you're going through the thing. So I think all of those things are important, but these little tricks you don't know until you've served on search committees and you hear people talking and then you realize what nuggets are really essential when you prepare your application. Wonderful. Thank you both. So now let's talk about teaching a statement. Why 
is teaching a statement important? Well, I think it's important because um, just looking at the student evaluation or with lack of prior experience of teaching, people don't really know how you would teach, how you would approach education in general. Even though teaching is regarded sometimes less regarded, uh, but uh, it's really important component as a faculty. So. You know, from a committee point of view, I mostly look at these uh, teaching statements as a way to see whether they care, really, whether they're willing to improve. No one's going to be a perfect teacher from the start, but there are ways you can navigate and there are ways to seek help if you need to. And just to kind of get you thinking, if you never had taught before, it's not just about experience. It's more about how you're handling situations, how you care about students. I think those are the things that I would look for in a teaching statement. Yeah, for me, I think the teaching statement is hard because sometimes people generalize things so much like, oh, I do office hours and I use clickers and you like blah. And then your mind thing, blah, 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 blah. So one of the things that I look for is innovative teaching methods using something that is not currently being used, like a, a e-glass board or something like that, or just something outside of the box. I remember one faculty member said they do something about females in science or something like that. They just, when they get to a particular chapter and they want to introduce a new concept and they'll say, well, actually this was introduced by so-and-so faculty member and she was the first chair of, you know, and kind of do like a small history lesson. So I thought those, those things are innovative to me and being able to integrate it into the classroom. I like to see that they create demos of some sort. So I'm looking for something that requires a little bit more effort than just the normal pop quizzes and them fill in the blank and that type of thing. I'm looking for something a little bit different. It's sometimes difficult for, for the candidates who had never taught before. If they've never been in the classroom, it's kind of hard for them to even know what resources will be available. And if they're teaching an undergraduate, one of those uh, basic classes, the textbook or the publisher might dictate what kind of resources that you can have. Um, I Yeah, I think it's, it's a little difficult in that sense. Perhaps that's why uh, some of the teaching statements, they are really asking for philosophy, I guess, like a, a way of teaching or you're the thinking of teaching. <laughs> but I think it's challenging, certainly without any prior experience. I would say if you've never taught before, never even really in tune with the classroom settings and all that or resources available, do a little bit research. Uh, there are plenty of resources on YouTube or on the internet. Uh, do a little research. Um, maybe the potential uh, institute that you're applying to just to see who's teaching, who has been teaching what, and then how they're all putting it together. Not all the teaching resources are, are, are available to outside, but some are. Some are still post, some professors still post their class materials online, and they can just kind of see how they do it. 
I 100% agree with you, Lucy. I think that each of these statements, this is not only for teaching. It requires a lot of time and effort and thinking and doing their homeworks. Their, and also, it varies from a school to school. So they can have just the same teaching statement, research statement, sent out to multiple positions. And as you said, yes, yeah, so many of these resources, they are hidden, but they are available for somebody who who's interested in finding out about it. And then also they can reflect on the time that they themselves were a student. So what they learned, what was the unique thing that their teacher or their instructor did uh, that they liked and what they didn't like, right? Those help them to, I guess, to come up with their own unique way of teaching. But I personally think that teaching a style evolves as you practice more, as you teach more, you become better and better, better at it. So I don't think that there is such a thing as a perfect teaching statement <laughs> that lasts forever. So what do you guys think that it should be included in this teaching statement? So I I think it would be important, and I and I believe I also did this, to talk about how you plan to engage students in the classroom. I think it's also important to talk about uh, some type of feedback mechanism like how do you know when you're doing well how do you know when you've gotten your point across I think it's also important to know how you will engage different learning styles so if you're teaching an intro class how do you assess where students are like some kind of thought process in terms of how you're going to reach each of the students I think also, how you manage your time in the class. So are you going to spend your whole time doing lecture? Or are you going to do lectures and examples? I think those are some important things. I think you also have to probably talk about how do you handle maybe uh, students with learning disabilities of some sort with some examples possibly. But I think it's pretty open because I would try to think of what are the three things that are important to me that I would want to see. And then I would just go for that because it's, it's so open in terms of what you can put in it. So I would just try to narrow it down to three things and try to focus around those three things. I also think that it's a good place to mention in class teaching as well as outside classroom teaching because as part of our I guess any faculty's uh, job is to mentor graduate students and you need to teach graduate students, but it's not necessarily they are not sitting in your classroom and you are lecturing them. So that also can be included uh, in the teaching statement. So one thing might be useful also to include are the courses you would like to teach and or design. Uh, so those are the things that uh, for a search committee's point of view, it's really nice for them to say, oh, look, oh, we already got this person who's willing to teach this particular class. So, you know, one thing is that they, it demonstrates that you have done your homework, that you've seen that what's needed. Another benefit is that it's much easier. It's like right there. People understand where you're coming from and where you're going to be in terms of teaching. So that's, uh, it's a nice addition to have. 
And how about the length of this teaching statement? So I was thinking definitely less than two pages. There's not a lot of graphics that you can do that, that you would be able to do easily with research. So teaching and also teaching philosophies, for example, uh, these are all words. So I can't, unless you already have some demos, maybe you already have some stuff that uh, you created before, or maybe a picture of you engaging with students in some format. So those would be nice to, to have. But otherwise, I think I think less than two pages is fine. Your whole the whole point is to get your point across without having too much text. The last one for the faculty position is a diversity statement. So what is this new statement all about? I've seen some recent applications because our university require that now as part of their applications. So I've seen some it basically talk about what diversity means to them and why they think it's important and in what way they can demonstrate they are inclusive in nature, you know, in terms of when they perform their research, when they perform teaching, in what way they can sort of incorporate this diversity theme uh, in their lab or in their classroom. Those are the things that I've read before. Um, the one, I'm still a little bit confused about this sometimes because it's so new. I've seen white men, applicants, who would write apologetic sentences as a start because they feel that they're not a diverse candidate. So they become apologetic ahead of time. They will say, oh, I, there is no way I could uh, be empathetic to this because I didn't grow up like that, but I'm going to try my best. I feel bad that it came to that. For them, they feel like they have to apologize first for their race and gender. <laughs> As a candidate, I don't think it's meant to do that. I really genuinely thought it's just a way to, to make the candidate think about, you know, what they could do to improve their working environment for the, in the classroom. Diversity statement, it could mean so many things. It could, it really depends on the type of school that you're at. So Maybe if you're at a predominantly white institution, diversity might mean more people of color, but it also could mean more women. It could might also mean more handicap accessible learning methods or it changes. And so this is where you have to show your creativity and show that you're just not thinking about the first thing that comes to mind, that being apologetic. I didn't grow up like that. It's not about growing up like anything person. <laughs> no, it's not. We all grew up differently. So, but it's about engaging all of those people who came, who are from different backgrounds. So maybe if you're at, you're applying to a historically Black university, diversity doesn't look like more people of color. Maybe it looks like more people from a particular region of the country. 
or maybe it looks like more students from Title I schools. Or, you know, it could mean recruitment of more Black men. Like if you see you're in a department where they're 80% female. So if you did that in your statement, it shows that you looked up the demographics of the school. You thought about it. You thought what you could bring that feels natural, right? So for me to say, I'm going to recruit these type of students and I have no connection to those students that I'm trying to bring into the classroom, it feels awkward. But if I try to do something more natural, then it the, the statement is going to flow because you're going to automatically feel she has or he has a connection to that particular thing. And, and at that time, they can draw on the experience. I saw one applicant just drew on his experience from growing up in India. And, you know, he was applying to a historical Black school and it was like, why? And he was like, well, I grew up in India and this is how we grew up and da, 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 da. And I very much connect to this particular way of life or something. like. And it was just like, wow. Just like he thought back to there is a connection. We're all humans. So I think that came off very well. You just automatically felt he was sincere about the mission of the university. So I think people need to not be apologetic and need not to be afraid to tackle these diversity statements. And if you do it, you'll be probably surprised yourself. Like, actually, I do care about something. <laughs> Just never had to put it in words. And, and I think when you do it nicely, these statements are really impactful. Yeah, very well said. I think that in our episode about diversity, we talked about that diversity comes in all different shapes and forms, and it's not just by gender or the color of a skin or uh, just limited groups that we see commonly being uh, talked about in these diversity statements. I really like that Kim mentioned that it needs to feel natural. I, in my opinion, in all these statements, the candidates, they should not pretend something that they are not. And they should be really genuine and talk about what they really think that they can contribute, either it's say in the category of research or teaching or, or diversity. And then also it's important that sometimes like the Indian candidate just reflect on himself and uh, or herself uh, and talk about their experiences. So Many of us, we've been involved in different type of activities that they can be mentioned in the diversity statement. So we need to put thoughts into it and make sure that it's genuine. Any final thoughts that you guys would like to share? So I have a general question. For these all three uh, statements, do you use first-person narrative or do you use third-person narrative? I personally think that you should use first person, uh, but that's my personal opinion. I also agree. I think it sounds more impactful to be first person, I even agree. though it might feel uncomfortable to say like, I was the first person to introduce this and to, but I think you can do it in a way where it doesn't come off too much, like it's too much, but I think first person is good. Yeah, I agree. I think especially for the research statement, they need to be, I mean, all of these statements need to come out personal and come out naturally. So 
we always used to write research in the third person or in a very technical way. But the, these、uh, research statement here in this context needs to be in first person. I also think that、uh, that will be more impactful. I also wanted to do a plug-in. If the listeners go back to our episodes twenty and twenty-one, where we did a two-part topic on the quest for a faculty position, so what we're doing today is really relevant to what we talked about in those two episodes, twenty and twenty-one. So if you have not heard those two, so we welcome you to take a listen. Thank you, Kim and Lucy, for sharing your thoughts, and thank you, Lucy, for mentioning those two. Previous episodes. As we conclude this episode, remember that these documents are not just pages on somebody's desk or computers. They are the voices of educators, researchers, and visionaries who shape the future of academia. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. You can follow us on Facebook and listen to our latest episodes on iTunes. Spotify, Amazon Music, or Google Podcasts. If you're interested in being a sponsor, then please contact us at sponsor at thisacademiclife.org. Join us next time for the good, the bad, and the ugly of this academic life.